0: Now, as if there aren't enough animals
1: and (laughs) teens... In our house, it's Lorraine. A spider has taken up residence in the corner of the glass roof in my kitchen. And um it's been there for quite a while now. But it's sort of, there's these little spotty deposits <laughs> on the window still, And then the odd sort of fly carcass wrapped up in sticky stuff. It sort of leaves us these awful little gifts. I don't it, like it. Is it I don't called like Dave?
2: It. We call all well, our spiders Dave so that Mabel, you? my 10-year-old, doesn't get scared. And we say, oh, look, Dave's back. And she goes, oh, my God, there's a spider. We said, "Just it's just Dave. Dave. She well, thinks sep- Dave is about eight years old. Oh, well,
1: September is spider season. Did you know that?
2: No, I didn't. But I had a quite horrific spider oh, experience in, in the September. While I was inspecting my face in the mirror, as you mm. do um, of a morning, rubbing in my HRT, <laughs> quite close to the mirror, and mm. a spider oh. appeared in front of me. <laughs> it had dingle dangled itself down from the ceiling and when I say a spider I think I probably mean small rodent it was <sighs> enormous I don't know how it was holding its own weight oh goodness for God's what, sake. what did you do with it well I was very patient and calm
0: mm.
2: and I left the room to have a think about what to do with it and then I went back in and bravely because I'm not a fan of insects but I'm mm. not you know squealy about them uh took the cord of the very strong spider web and then carried it through the house quietly because you Ooh. obviously you can't make a noise because no. if any child or teenager sees sweet. it then all hell breaks loose mm. and uh, it stayed on this giant spider until i got to the front door and dropped it outside mm. it's gone off now i mean gone God off knows. out into the wilds well i did there it all we are. without making any noise at all. are you proud of me <laughs> secret your superhero skill bye dave been i said bye dave that's the last we see of you <laughs>
1: welcome to postcards from midlife i'm lorraine candy i'm trish halpin and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife we'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to hrt and your sex drive lorraine and i are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion beauty careers relationships family and as always the challenges and joys of parenting teens
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your favourite podcast, Postcards from Midlife. Here we are again with more menopause myth busting and inspiring tales of midlife adventures. Yes, we do like an adventure, midlife adventure, and I've had one myself this week because I got to wear a sari for the very first time. Gosh, how how do you maneuver your (laughs) purposeful derriere into that then? Well, you get someone to do it for you, basically,
1: because it's very, very technical and very specific. So I was um, very honoured to be asked to be a judge at the Asian Women of Achievement Awards. And then they have the big fancy do, first big fancy do I've been to and obviously a very long time at the Hilton. And Pinky, who organises it, wanted me to wear one of her saris. And it was just amazing. So basically, you get into this black almost like calico long skirt that they tie up really tightly across your tummy and then they weave the sari fabric round and fold it and tuck it in there and then pull it over and pin it up and oh my god it was it was quite amazing but but mm. it can't go to the loo in it. Can't go can't to the loo. Go. Oh
2: well that for you that's an <laughs> issue, isn't it? Well,
1: exactly it's my sort of safety zone isn't it going to the loo popping in there for a few minutes and so the, the lovely lady I was sitting next to um uh, at the dinner who wasn't wearing a sari said oh no you absolutely you can't go to the loo she said, I had to do my whole wedding day couldn't go to the Gosh, loo wow. even once
2: but uh but there we are oh, well done you nutrition you my yourself. adventure my oh, adventure good. good well I'm a bit cheered up this week as well because mm. I've been uh, reading through our emails And I was very greatly cheered by an email we got from a new listener, Nicola, in Kent. Lorraine and Trish. See that, Lorraine and Trish. Anyway, she says, a few weeks ago, I agreed to give a presentation to some of my colleagues to raise awareness of menopause and help make it less taboo. Whilst researching this, I came across your podcast, and now I am absolutely hooked. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much about myself. My rage must have been menopause-related, midlife in general, and with the help of your book, Lorraine, that's my book, Trish. Mum, what's yes, wrong Yes, you? are one girl. of the things. <laughs> Only the mothers mm-hmm. of teenage girls know. I now know that my 18-year-old daughter buying second-hand trainers is perfectly normal, which was a relief. And as I walk my 10,000 steps a day, we've got to talk about that 10,000 yeah. steps at some <laughs> point. The counting, Trish. counting everything. Constant oh. counting of yeah. female lives. I am now accompanied by an episode of Postcards from Midlife and learning to understand and embrace me. Oh,
1: well, that is really good to hear from Nicola in Kent. And she's got a good 60 something episodes to get through now, hasn't she? So we've got she a big back catalogue, which archive. I really can listen to whenever you want. Lots of amazing guests and um, yeah, helping women live their best lives. That was the reason we started yes. this podcast. And it is joyous to hear from listeners. So you can email us just like Nicola did at hello at postcards from midlife.com. You can tell us your midlife stories. And it's really great when we can share things from our community which help others no matter how big or small and we'd like to hear your nostalgia noodles too
2: anything else helpful to share today Lorraine I have actually got something specially for you Trish it's very helpful because according to the research and God knows where they do this research if I tell you this you're going to live 13 years longer What about that so I'm going you to are. be 125, am I 100. <laughs> Well, you'll, you will outlive Margot, which will be a massive achievement. Anyway, if you live 13 years longer, 13 years more g 13 years mm-hmm. more telling Neil, your hot octopus, as we named him last week. You'll have to listen to last week's show to find out about that. 13 years of not Neil telling you at 7am or asking you at 7am what's the tea. So, But you want that, don't you? You want your extra 13 years. Well, yes, that could be rather nice. But what do I have to do? What is it? You, what is you it? have got to, every morning, stand on one leg with your eyes closed. Oh bear with me listeners I'm not making it up <laughs> because if you do that you're going to live longer okay. the proper surveys have proven this um because apparently the ability to balance is a vital skill which we've all lost because we sit down mm. all the time and when you get older second biggest cause of death worldwide is falling over yes. all the complications arise the beginning of it. the end with a broken yep. hip isn't it exactly somebody pushing you down there <laughs> Podcast studios. Who might that be? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, according to uh, Dr. Michael Mosley, the health guru, you you need to be able to balance on one leg, any leg, either leg, eight to ten seconds with your eyes closed, or thirty seconds or more with your Mm -hmm. eyes open. Now, Mm -hmm. weirdly, I can do both of those, but that's because I have size eight feet. And I'm five foot two, so I think five it's a two. the height to feet ratio yes. situation.
1: Well, uh, I, can you do it? Oh, well, I'm impressed with that because I can I can easily do the thirty seconds with the eyes open, no bother whatsoever. Eyes closed, mm, I'm on the floor after about three seconds. Um, but there's another one as well, which it's I'm there. going to see if you can do, which is More similar usefulness. thing about strength yeah. and balance, where you've got to sit on the floor in a cross leg position, like you used to do at junior school, and you've got to get up without kneeling or putting your hands on the floor you've got to get up from the cross leg position i can do that i can do that all those years of yoga pay off is it truly can you do that i truly can do that (laughs) we should we do a video of it (laughs) we can both do a video you can stand on one leg with a blindfold and i'll get up from a sitting (laughs) cross leg position but yeah that's a similar thing it's all about the kind of strength ankle strength bone strength hip strength and not falling over yeah, indeed. Yeah. So what else is coming up
2: in the show today? Well, more usefulness. I am going to remind mm. listeners that we are serious journalists. we <laughs> <careers> behind us. <laughs> Talk about this ridiculousness. Anyway, we've got a really useful guest, super useful guest. She's probably the fittest GP in the land and Telly's favourite medic right now. Dr. Zoe Williams. Oh, she is fabulous. And I can't wait to meet her because not only all of those reasons, she's a former
1: gladiator. I mean, how impressive is that? And she's I'd a like new my mum at 41. What gladiator to add to all the other attributes. Yeah, Never too late. She's
2: going to be guiding us through the best way to stay fit and healthy and the right weight for you in midlife. Well, I need a bit of help with that because uh, since I've gone back to being full-time Veggie, I've discovered the joy of cheese. The joy of cheese. That's your new book. Oh, my God, the joy of cheese. All cheeses that I hadn't eaten Mm. for a while. I'm trying to eat them all. Five a day it is with me and cheese. Mm. Um, But before we get to Dr. Zoe, we're going to be talking about other sorts of bodies, Mm. heavenly bodies. Mm. We realised we had never talked about horoscopes on the show. How could we have missed that after all this time? I mean, it's extraordinary. Now, I know they're not everyone's cup of tea, probably for the more whimsical element uh, among you, but I do think Generation X women have a really nostalgic affection Mm -hmm for astrology the stars went out of fashion for a bit but they have made a comeback and given that it's autumn time of new starts or the new autumn equinox We're going to have a jibber jabber about them, and I have found some very funny astro-experts for us, Trish.
1: Oh, good. Not Mystic Meg, then. Moving on from Mystic Meg. Good. Mystic Meg. And we'll be also discussing the moon, because we've been talking about full moon madness, haven't we, after September's harvest moon um, this week, and you're off on a full moon swim, and I'm kind of quite moon-focused
2: because of my sailing and just love a bit of the moon, so we're going to have a bit of a chat about that too. Yes. So in the show, we've got Practical and Useful, day and also impractical and probably useless as well <laughs> so take that woman's hour you can't match us on oh. any of those oh, things oh God. well i don't think i've recovered from our sex toy <laughs> <last week, laughs> frankly but let's get going now i'm going to preface this section of the show our bit that we call jibber jabber with a public service announcement mm-hmm. uh, in case you didn't know astrology is not a science okay i'm just putting that out there for everybody so whatever you believe that's up to you totally respect it so this is just a light-hearted discussion mm-hmm. for you over a cup of tea i'm putting that in for marion i think uh, trish <laughs> oh, our biggest fan who yes. once called us Well, took the time to email us and call us ridiculous when we talked about missing our teenagers when they went away. Anyway, when I was the Woman's Editor of the Sun back in 1904, if there was one thing that was guaranteed to double circulation or triple it, indeed, it was a horoscope special. So back in those days, the astrologers, they were like rock stars. Mm -hmm. They commanded enormous salaries. And anything that said what your star sign says about you, your relationship, which we always put on the front of the paper, would sell thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. of copies. So I do myself remember being slightly addicted to my star signs as a young woman and my friends were too and I think a lot of single girls particularly at the time had that horoscope moment I mean I could barely decide what to put on my toast some days unless <laughs> Russell Grant had advised me about it in the paper in the morning are you a star sign fan Trish I think you might be too sensible for that. well I am quite sensible but I did love them because
1: it's the kind of hope that <laughs> It you, is. isn't it and the kind yeah. of oh, you know I belong this is me um but because working on magazines we just ran these things yeah. all the time didn't we and January was always the kind of what's coming up in the year ahead and when you worked on a magazine like I did like more magazine which is all very sexy they were obviously sex scopes they weren't horoscopes oh, so it was all about so. telling you how many orgasms <laughs> you were going to have in 1996 or whatever. But I have to say, I've got horoscope imposter syndrome because I'm a Gemini and Taurus cusp which means I was born on the day. Why
2: have you complicated and overthought (laughs) horoscopes? I mean, if anyone could do it, it's you, isn't it? But I think it's because I love the Gemini characteristics, but
1: I'm not sure I ever fit the description because I'm supposed to be mercurial, easily bored, always on to the next thing. You can't keep up with me. And um, here we go. I'm extremely turned on by intelligence and a keen intellect. Would you say that
2: describes Amanda and I are looking at us. We're just, just agreeing with all of that, you think not, we think so. Oh. Especially the bit She's nodding her head, Amanda. <laughs> yeah. Well, cancerous are supposed to be homebodies, but quite frankly, I'm not one of those. So. No, no, <laughs> no it's all Bloody no. Anyway, anyway, you thought they were gone, or maybe mm. had lost their allure, but uh, millennials, they're crazy oh, for they them. Oh, they love them. Crazy for them. So lots of papers, um... Have seen a massive increase in people reading them online, and the Cut, which is the New York Times mm-hmm. Star website, has had a one hundred and fifty percent increase in traffic oh, wow. to its uh, astrology bit of the website, and so so many others. Now, I discovered in the American version of InStyle magazine they've just hired because of this massive increase a duo called the Astro Poets, who mm. are widely acknowledged. Not in scientific terms, but in, in, the, in the terms we like to get engaged in <laughs> as, uh, as experts and the funniest and the oh. most followed on. They're very funny on Twitter. So it's Dorothy Alaski and Alex Dimitrov. It just sounds so horoscopy, don't they? <laughs> um, they've got their own unique style. They wrote Your Guide to the Zodiac. And I think you're going to like them, Trish, because they hmm. say things like, Hello, Scorpio. It's Satan calling. <laughs> Scorpio replies, I'll do it which but basically sums up every Scorpio I've ever met, because my son's a Scorpio. Is it really ridiculous? Well, I will do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shall I read out what they've said about you for uh, fall, as they yes, call it in America? Yes, and then I'm going to do yours. So you go first. Off you yes, go. Yes, this is the time of the soul.
1: Mm. Fall. Now,
2: listen, so you're Gemini, aren't you? Yes. Like a tiny gem- I have a problem with Gemini, you know, normally. You can use oh, ma- Mabel's a Gemini. Oh, tricky, tricky mm? Gemini. Mm. Anyway. For fall, Gemini, your very close relationships, whether romantic or platonic, will test you this fall. Can it be? They'll require patience you've been looking for and haven't been able to find for some time. Don't be hard on yourself, Trish. Remember mm-hmm. that your eccentricity is one of your great strengths. Yeah, not getting that, not getting that. But they carry on, carry on. Literally, I I went ping. I thought that is Trish. Something people <laughs> admire about you, Trish. Allow yourself to be playful to not overthink bolted oh, that the out in a script yeah. look and stifle yourself i mean it's you, isn't it? That is me. That bits me. Yes. Yeah. As the days get shorter, you'll feel a need to be a bit more reclusive and introspective. It'd be hard for you to be more reclusive and introspective. Remember that some answers take a long time to arrive. What about oh, that, Trish? That is quite true for me because I like everything. If
1: something needs to be done and sorted, I need I need it done now. I need yeah. to get it done, you know. Yeah. So actually, and you know, the are whirring round at four o'clock in the morning when you're trying to sort everything out that has to happen in the next three weeks which doesn't actually have to happen right now. So I think that's that's quite helpful. I will take those words of wisdom. Shall we see what, they, what the the astropoets have got to say for you
2: and the other Cancerian?
1: Is that what the word
2: Listeners? I always wanted to be a much more glamorous sign than Cancerian. Oh, so what's a glamorous one? Boring. Gemini. Glamour- Leo. Oh Leo.
1: Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well listen, listen up. Listen up. Go on. Many close friends will need your nurturing ear this fall. <laughs> I'm laughing at that I tell that you idea. what, people You're do not nurturing my ear. Nurturing ear. <laughs> you just give them a piece of your That's mind. That's not the kind of nurturing, nurturing people want, I can really. tell you. You know this role of caretaker well, and you mostly enjoy it. Remember to tend to your own peace of mind and well-being, even in the midst of being needed. The full moon in Aries, late October, will give you some energy to do that. Saying no is as powerful as saying yes. Being alone can be as restorative as being with others, although you're a sign that gets that energy mainly from others. Notice how much better you move through the world when you take some time for yourself. Now,
2: I do get my energy from others. Yeah. I, I can't bear to be on my own um, and I I'm agreeing with the uh you know the midst of being needed because you like
1: being needed you I are do. needed you've got four I, children for goodness you
2: all the time yes you're right aren't there Is it possible horoscopes are true <laughs> I don't think we can solve that on this podcast because we know soon bugger all about anything so least of all horoscopes but i was reading about this psychology of astrology um because i do think there's something in and i've worked with quite a lot of astrologers and i think they're more i wouldn't they're quite empathetic and they're quite Mm -hmm. good about intuition um pretty spiritual as well you know possibly psychic which i have i have more belief in in psychic than i do astrology i think Mm -hmm. um astrology offers those in crisis which i read in a big piece in the atlantic the comfort of a better future so which which means sort of if you're it's the hope situation again isn't it we're all under a little bit more stress now um that's probably why there's been an increase in people reading it and it's astrology sort of tilts you in the direction of something you want to be going towards anyway so you Mm -hmm. start to make decisions something telling you reinforcing written down means you start to make decisions based on going that way anyway they're kind of a catalyst for change so while they might not be scientific i know there's a lot of thinking I don't want to upset any uh astrologers uh in in our lighthearted chats about it because it is about cycles mm. but there is a lot of thinking from a psychological point of view that is pulling the cycles together recognizing patterns and putting ideas out yeah. there to people and yeah. they move forward based on those ideas so I think there is it's quite a bit of worth in it um mm-hmm. even though studies that can't really concern yeah. any sides. it's almost like a coping device isn't it because it's sort of advice delivered in a yes.
1: kind of you know mystical spooky fun interesting way you might not read a dry kind of self-help book but you might. Might read your horoscopes and get some good advice in there. Well,
2: people plugged into the moment and what's mm. going on, and the different types. You know, there's probably probably is twelve types of personality, and you know yeah. how they move together. And I have found that on the magazine teams I've edited. There's always been, without fail, a majority of Cancerians, which I don't know what that oh, says. Cancer okay. Taurus been
1: You been quite did a, You kept a record, did you? I did you took a record, note. didn't look yes. at their
2: CVs, just found out what their star yeah. sign was. Sometimes <laughs> when I had to do lots and lots of people for job interviews mm. and it would go on for days and my assistant would, would, would pop in to stop people going on and on, she knew that if I asked, and what is your star sign, it was time to stop the interview. <laughs> You know, sometimes you just had to interview so many people. And I never yeah. wanted to reject people just on this. There's CV.
1: probably some legal reason why you can't ask that these days.
2: Probably. Yes. Prob- probably. <laughs> but if we yeah, probably probably. It's some HR contravention scientific mm. about our slightly more woo-woo discussion the moon there's a bit mm. more science around the cycles of the moon and um, because symbols of new beginnings turning points kind of rites of passage and all the tidal forces there is no mm. science however <laughs> to link one to the moon the movement of the moon to one's no. mood although i do go properly bonkers when it's at earth do moon. you well do you yeah. know where that comes from don't you is because the lunar
1: cycle is 29 days and obviously a woman's mental cycle is supposed to be 28 days But I think most women don't have a 28 day cycle. But that's that kind of connection between
2: women and the moon and cycles and and all of that. That's where
1: that comes from.
2: The only science, there is science and several surveys in the last five years saying that the cycle does affect your sleep. So when something affects your sleep, then it does affect your emotions and how you are. You get less sleep. During a full moon time, yeah. according to the science. Is that because it, if you've not got blackout curtains, it shines the light through the window? No, that is one of the reasons, yeah. yeah. It's a different kind of
1: brightness. You see. Yeah.
2: So there's a bit, you can find hope in all oh, of it. We Trish, can, can't meaning.
1: We? Yes, we find meaning. Anyway. We're looking for meaning in these things. Can
2: I do a very,
1: very quick moon based mini culture club? Just really quickly. You aren't going to sing, are you? That all no, like I'm not well. going to sit. Yeah. Well, I might actually. Hang on, stand by. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to tell you about about a documentary Neil made me watch. He didn't make me watch it, but I felt like, because I always choose what we watch on TV, obviously. And he said, please, will you watch this new Apollo 11 documentary about moon landings? Can I just say, (laughs) she's laughing away. I was, it's literally one of the best things I have ever seen in my life. It's all from this, like, it was made, like, a couple of years ago and it's this 11,000 hours of uncatalogued audio and, like, original film footage and it's all the crowds at Cape Canaveral all in their 60s gears watching the takeoff, all them, like, massive machines moving it into space and then you've got, obviously, them all in space and landing on the moon and there's no, like, narration or it's not like done like a child it's just like observation and oh. you sit there I honest to god it is the wonders of science and the universe I Good. really right. encourage that to watch that. and then my most romantic song ever I think is Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Oh. Shall I sing it? No don't.
2: No you, sir, you absolutely won't. Anyway I think <laughs> we have to move do, on do, to no, matters do, more do. scientific there is a doctor in the house <gasps> waiting yeah. for us
0: Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: This week's special guest is the powerhouse, Dr. Zoe Williams, an NHS GP, TV broadcaster, rugby player and former TV gladiator, no less. Her appearances on ITV's Good Morning and the BBC's Trust Me, I'm a Doctor have made her a household favourite and one of the country's most respected doctors. 41-year-old Zoe qualified in medicine in 2007, but decided to take a career swerve that would change her life forever, becoming Amazon, the gladiator on Sky's reboot of the hit 90s TV show. Since then, she has successfully combined work as a GP in London with appearances on shows such as The Real Full Monty, but her driving passion is championing physical activity with charity initiatives such as Fit for Life, an organisation she founded that delivers workshops to children to inspire, educate and them to lead healthier lives growing up in Burnley in a single parent family Zoe herself struggled with severe asthma as a child but was determined to have physical activity as a big part of her life competing in athletics and rugby union. In May this year she gave birth to her first child with partner Stuart McKay so as well as sharing her expert fitness and well-being advice we're intrigued about how she is planning to head into her midlife years as a first-time mum.
3: Welcome to Postcards from Midlife Zoe. Thank you thanks so much for having me great to be here with you. Oh well listen
1: congratulations on the birth arrival of little Lisbon how is oh. he doing and
3: probably how are you doing <laughs>
1: are you getting uh, yeah
3: sleep? No, we're both we're both great actually he's I can't believe he's almost four months he'll be four months next week and it really just feels like it's going so quickly now and just wanting to stay small oh. but um but yeah no loving it it's it's amazing it is the hardest job in the world but that's <laughs> what I expected
2: but yeah it's great well it's very exciting to have someone who's got a new baby on the Mm -hmm. podcast isn't it Trish because we've interviewed women who who've got teenagers so um let's talk a little bit about the background you becoming a mum for the first time so you met your partner Stuart 20 months before you became pregnant and you talked quite openly then you're 41 now about going solo maybe having IVF or having your eggs frozen had you given yourself a cut-off time or an age or a date how had that thinking progressed in your mind Um, I mean, I was about to hit go on the going solo.
3: Um, I froze my eggs when I was thirty-eight. Right. You know, I've wanted to be a mum my whole life and I always thought that I'd probably have my first child around the I always said thirty-two. I thought thirty-two, that would be the right age. But you know, I was in I've been in relationships, been in good relationships, but just not relationships where we ever got to the point where we were ready to, to think about having children. Mm-hmm. So as a single woman at 36, I started thinking about it. At 38, I froze my eggs. And then at 39, I'd made the decision that I was going to go it alone, Mm. be a solo parent, use donor sperm and um, was kind of just letting that bed in and I was talking about it a lot to people and figuring out how I was going to make it work and then I met Stuart randomly, it's like almost exactly two years ago. In a bar in Lisbon. In a bar in Lisbon. in Lisbon. Not on a dating app, the good old fashioned way. (laughs) In real life. (laughs) Amazing. I know. So you're a mum now, we put a
1: lot of pressure on ourselves as mothers because because we want to get everything right. The world, society, puts quite a lot of pressures on on mums as well. Does it feel different? Do you feel different? And are you feeling pressure?
3: Yes. Yes. I think I've learned, being a mum, that I cope by reframing everything. And what is actually a new level of anxiety around even you know just having a shower you can't relax in the shower like you used to the baby might wake up start crying at any moment or venturing out of the house using public transport everything comes with a new tinge of anxiety which I I like to just say it's more exciting so there's a new added excitement to everything um but yeah already I think God I do think what did I what did I do before like what did I how, how did I spend three hours in the gym? What was I doing? Um, so I think, yeah, time is so, has become a much more precious commodity. It always was a precious commodity, but, but now um, I, feel, I feel there's just this added layer of, I think it's one of the downsides to being a if I'm really honest. Like it's amazing and I'm full of love and we're in the love bubble and all of that, but you can't enjoy anything quite the way that you used to.
1: Mm hmm. And um, support networks become really important, don't they? I mean, my mum died just before my twins were born, actually. And I, I found it really hard to cope with the kind of emotions of being overjoyed at having these babies, but utterly sad as well, that she would get to meet them, she wouldn't get to meet them. And I mean, you're a motherless mother as well. How is that impacting yeah.
3: you? Yes. My mum my died a few years ago. You know, it was, it, she was very unwell towards the end. She had an alcohol addiction and um, it really took its toll on her physical health and her mental health. I think well, if she was still around, you know, it, it, she wouldn't really be able to help that much. But it it's something I haven't still yet, I think, I haven't still allowed myself to think about it too much mm-hmm. because i've accepted that my mum's died and that i don't have a mum anymore um but that my baby doesn't have a grandmother and that she's you know i think i mostly feel sad that she's missed out that she hasn't got to meet him Mm -hmm. especially because her death was preventable you know she could have still been here if it hadn't been for the addiction that she developed so i think i feel part of me large part of me feels really sad more sad for her missing out than for me Mm -hmm. or my baby missing out and also if I'm really honest there's a slight bit of relief as well because Mm. it would have been very very difficult to have negotiated and managed you know she would have wanted to be a part of his life and be a grandmother and of course I would have wanted him to have her but that figuring that out would have been really difficult we experienced it with my nephew my nephew's 11 years old now but she wanted to take a really active role as a grandmother in his life but her illness meant she couldn't safely do that. And it's, it was mm. quite challenging at times.
2: So you, throughout your childhood, when you were dealing with your mum's addiction and her dependency and caring alongside your brother, and you also had severe asthma and you went on to become a you know, quite significant athlete. As well. So you overcame the asthma and all the issues and you trained as a GP um, a little bit as a mature student. What Where does that kind of drive come from how do you find that energy to do all that I think it's part of
3: my personality that if I'm ever told I can't do something that motivates me to do it and you know i come from quite humble beginnings mum was a single parent and her alcoholism didn't really kick in until she was about 14 so when we were young children um it wasn't it wasn't an issue at that time and and actually she was the one who i was a very shy child i had quite severe asthma spent quite a lot of time in and out of hospital um wasn't very confident um but she she actually was the one who always whenever I would say no I can't she would always say yes you can and I think I've always heard that voice I still hear that voice in my head today because I still get I still get nervous I still have huge imposter syndrome like whenever I sit on the sofa this morning I think this is it they're gonna find out I'm not actually very good at what I do um I can't do that and I you know my mind says I can't do this I can't do this and I still hear her saying yes you can so she she got me into sport um her it was actually her and my paediatrician um, my paediatrician said it's really important that Zoe gets involved in some form of sport and physical activity it's important for her asthma but also for her confidence and to help bring her out of her shell. Um, so I started doing dancing classes when I was about seven years old and just loved it. And we couldn't afford to continue after a couple of years, but I kind of found sport, physical activity. I found my competitiveness and I think that's what then drew me towards any sporting activity that was made available to me, um, maybe competitive in the classroom as well. So I think that's what's driven me academically. Yeah once I grew out of my asthma I was luckily quite naturally gifted at most sports. Mm-hmm. I was a bit of a jack of all trades master of none so I played at county level a m- number of sports but never went any further than that until mm-hmm. I got to university as a mature student as you mentioned at the age of 21 and found rugby and that turned out to be The sport. I then went on to play um, at county level and premiership. So that that sort of tided me
2: over for what was to come later in life. You do need that energy because I had my last baby. I was nearly forty four. I was a month and a bit off turning forty four, and she's only sort of ten now. And it was quite exhausting. But what I would say is. When I had Mabel and she was quite little, I went straight into what I now know, and what, you know, one of the reasons to set up the podcast was perimenopause. And just Mm. it, it hit me like a tsunami the brain fog, the depression, the kind of enormous fluctuation of. Hormones, the, the kind of all the other related ailments, which I didn't really know what was going on at the time. How? So you're 41 now, and you're a mm-hmm. you're a medic, so you know. I'm guessing you know what's coming, and you're mm-hmm. you're very keen on the lifestyle changes that you could. I if I'd known all of that, then I would have been before I got HRT. I would have been able to. Ha- life would have been nicer for all of us, basically. Yeah. Do you know what's coming? Are you talking about it to everyone around you? <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs>
3: I think it's something that even as a medic I think that if there's one thing we're always in denial about it's about getting older and the things that come inevitably with with getting older um I mean by definition I am now in my midlife but I don't see myself as that I still think I'm young the other day I was pushing a pram and somebody said their child. Oh, mind out for that lady. And I still thought, I'm not a lady. I'm a girl. <laughs> um, but but I think you know. I guess having the knowledge, having the the understanding, knowing what to look out for, and knowing the huge number of ways in which you can approach um, the per- perimenopausal and menopausal years. I think I have probably thought about the ways in which I will manage it, and my plan will be to throw everything at it. I think, starting with lifestyle everything from nutrition to exercise and knowing what signs to look out for but I you know certainly won't be somebody who is is adverse to taking HRT if I think HRT is going to help me I I I almost I I I think I will take HRT and I'm not even there yet. I'm hoping it won't happen for a little while yet because if we're very, very, very lucky, I'd still like to have another baby. (laughs) Oh, how exciting. Yes, more
1: babies, (laughs) more lovely babies. But obviously you work as a GP as well as all your media work. So you must meet women who are, maybe we were like a lot of listeners, just not joining the dots. They're coming to see you in their mid forties. They have got anything from migraines to mood disorder to load libido, to joint a all of these different things. I mean, do you, see, do you see women in that sort of situation? And are you able to help them join the dots? Because a lot of women do struggle with GPs helping them with that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that is being talked about more and more outside of the medical profession. Perimenopause was something that a word that nobody really even mm-hmm. knew of a few years ago, mm-hmm. I think. It, was, it wasn't until your period stopped that, people would think about treating you for menopause. Mm -hmm. um, And I think, to be honest, I think that's echoed within the medical field as well. I think perimenopause is something that we weren't talking about that much several years ago either. So I would hope that things are changing, but I know, I know from my friends, I know from what I hear about um, through the media work that I do that a lot of women have very poor experience actually of of getting the right help when it mm. comes to managing perimenopause um, I think it's it's so important that, that the media has started to portray it the way that it has but but also I feel like the media is especially TV way behind I I've, I've been pitching an idea for some time now about um, what I call social infertility which is what I was suffering from as far as I was aware and um, biologically I was able to have children but I hadn't met the right partner and um, and women are are choosing to to take lots of go down lots of different avenues to manage that. Whether it's using donor sperm, whether it's um, co-parenting with a friend, whether it's using a professional service to find a co-parent, um, whether they you know yeah. adoption. There are lots of different ways, and it's not talked about. So I've been pitching an idea for a while now, and what I actually got told at one point, I won't say who by or which channel, or that um, yeah, you know, this is a really good idea and it's a really important topic but the general public aren't ready to be interested and engaged in this. They're only just getting their head around the menopause. <laughs> and I thought that, I think- Oh, it's really depressing, is. isn't it? Yeah, it is depressing. It... So I feel like where we're at at the moment with menopause, perimenopause, with it being understood, and I think with women feeling more armed with the information, better informed, they're you know being good sources of information other than your GP so that they will come yeah. into the GP and say, these are my expectations, which, you know, to anyone listening, you're very, very entitled to do. That should be welcomed by your GP.
2: I kind of, guess, as a practising GP, that's sort of what I want to ask you, because um, we know two-thirds of women are offered antidepressants instead of hormone replacement by their Mm. GPs. That's the most recent survey. And certainly I was offered antidepressants twice by two female um, GPs. And it's really difficult, and we get it so much on our private Facebook group, to go in and say... I've printed out the NICE guidelines and you're not supposed yeah. to offer me antidepressants. You just feel, if, if you feel you've got to get there anyway, got to get an appointment. And then you feel a bit right old ninny saying, I've I've already done this before. you. I, and also, I always felt seeing a young woman GP, I was kind of thinking, oh, I just don't think she'll understand what I'm going through. Um, thank God she's a woman, but... I'm not sure she'll understand but also I just felt bad about saying you know what actually I've done all the research and googling myself so Mm -hmm. this is I'm a journalist and this is what I want and even then I still it took me three goes can what is your advice to women who think they might be perimenopausal because that's the bit that's confusing GPs when they go in particularly if they're facing an older male doctor who traditionally as we've heard may be reluctant to prescribe HRT it's
3: really complicated there are lots of different things you know like there was that study that has scared a lot of people into thinking yeah, that we, we don't want to badmouth gps all the time <laughs> let me break it down into what i think gps are experts at so gps we're meant to be experts at communication that's our skill so we're meant to be able to communicate effectively with our patients but also that's about drawing information out of our patients when you're in a consultation room with a gp there are two experts in that room the gp is the expert supposedly the expert in all things medical and the patient is the expert in themselves. And actually, to get the right outcome, it takes both expertise from both people to come up with the right outcome. Okay. The other thing to mention is that as GPs, we know a tiny little bit about everything. Whereas, for example, you take a menopause specialist doctor, they know a hell of a lot about a very small amount. So we, we don't know everything about everything. And you know, guidelines are updated all the time and it, it is impossible to stay up to date with everything so if you are somebody who is savvy enough smart enough brave enough intelligent enough you've done your research absolutely don't feel afraid to take that in and say to your gp this is my re- i've done my research especially if you're using you know the right types of resources such as nice such as nhs royal college of obstetrics and gynaecology if you bring that into us the, w- the way i would see it and the way i would hope especially most of my colleagues would see it, would be that we're two experts and we're sharing the workload. Right. Another thing I'll share is that when, we're, when we learn communication skills, this isn't just GPs or doctors, part of the framework that we're, we're taught, we call it ICE. I is for ideas, C is for concerns, E is for expectations. So in that consultation, we should be trying to determine what are your ideas? What do you think is going on? What are your concerns? What are you worried about and what are your expectations? And often, you know, with something like the symptoms of perimenopause, you know, they are vague symptoms. There could be a hundred different yeah, things. If it's, it's low confusing. mood, if it's, you know, fatigue, if it's brain fog, there are so Tinnitus. many different causes. Um, so part of our job is not just to look at the medical symptoms and figure it out what it is. Part of it is to find out, well, what do you think it is? Cause you, even if you haven't done that research, you might have an inkling and often the patient will have the answer. So, so yeah, so to all of your listeners, my Thank advice you. is the GP's job is to find out what you think it is, what your concerns are and what your expectations are. So don't be afraid to go in there and make their job easy for them by giving them that information. That's brilliant. That's Very really cool. helpful.
1: <laughs> now, even f- four months on from having little Lisbon, I mean, you're you're just the picture of, of glowing <laughs> health. You really, really oh, thank are. You. I feel it. <laughs> you look gorgeous. Um, so we want all your advice on how to get a, even a fraction of that, especially in our sort of midlife years. So, fitness, nutrition advice, what would you be social prescribing for? Um, and explain social so- prescribing and then tell us what we need. For our midlife years?
2: Okay,
3: so so a social prescription is um, when you kind of deliver a prescription or a, a treatment plan or a plan of action with a patient that doesn't require an actual drug prescription. So typically, give an example whereas in the past we might have prescribed um, medication for somebody who is suffering with let's say depression depression is quite a good example of course antidepressants are one treatment cognitive behavioral therapy is another treatment but also we know that um, regular exercise particularly if it's done in as part of a group is as effective as antidepressants or as effective as CBT. So a social prescription would be helping the patient find what's available to them locally that they want to be involved in. That is a treatment essentially that isn't drugs. And of course you can give the drugs as well and you can give all three and it works even better. So social prescriptions will be things like singing for Alzheimer's or singing for COPD. And they actually have a positive impact on the patient and on the disease process. Without giving drugs, so my social description for midlife it's really difficult because it depends. Obviously, everybody is different. I love exercise. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the way it makes me feel afterwards. I actually would say I'm somebody who suffers with anxiety, and I suffer with chronic back pain that's well controlled with exercise. If I stop doing it, then I don't feel well. So you know, I'm I'm kind of like the physical activity GP. So I'm always going to lead with with exercise. The great things about it are. It doesn't involve saying have less of something. So, you know, we all should be probably thinking about having less alcohol. Don't smoke. Don't eat this, that and the other. Whereas with exercise, this is something you can do. It's something positive and you can do whatever works for you. I also think it has a positive impact on all of the other lifestyle factors. So if we're active, we're likely to sleep better we're likely to actually choose to eat healthier foods. Um, We're likely to be less stressed. It can have a positive impact on relationships. Um, So it's kind of, for me, sort of the key lifestyle element, but some people really don't like it and don't enjoy it. So it's tricky. Um, So my advice for anyone who, who isn't a gym bunny like me is try and build some physical activity, even if it's a small amount, into your normal everyday routine. So whether it's part of your commute to work, um, it's walking on the school run, simple things like making a habit of doing squats when you're boiling the kettle. And it's the little things that we do often that add up to a lot. And There's one stat I'll share with you because I always think it's really interesting. I'm kind of a bit anti-calorie counting. It does involve calories, but just to preempt with that, if you have an office job where you normally sit, if you stand for three hours a day, every day in the office over the course of a year the additional calories burn equate to the same as running 10 marathons oh my goodness wow yes it's really about the little things that we do often Mm. that
2: can add up to be what about food then what about nutrition and supplements and things like that because you know we've got bone health to consider in midlife muscle um decreases in midlife what are we eating generally when it comes to nutrition we tend to go
3: along the path of the Mediterranean diet Mm, um, which is lots of fruit and vegetables oily fish nuts seeds and trying to limit processed foods and sugary foods you can sort of safely prescribe that for anybody but particularly in midlife particularly around the time of perimenopause menopause some things that are especially important are calcium Mm. um, because we know that once estrogen levels drop then bone density can start to drop as well. So ensuring they get good sources of calcium. And um, if people are vegan, which is becoming more and more popular, then thinking about um taking a calcium supplement is probably quite important or looking for foods that have been fortified uh, vitamin d is important for everybody yeah. but as especially um, as we as we reach midlife and also there are some foods that contain plant estrogens phytoestrogens that are becoming quite popular um Linwood's are just launching a new product a functional product that's designed for women in midlife that's got flax seeds and chia seeds and something called lign They've added lignans. Lignans are a phytoestrogen. Now, the British um, Dietetic Association support that these can help with symptoms. They're not going to help like HRT. That's just sort of got mild, mild effects if you eat them regularly. But you know, they are completely natural and safe to take. So that's something that perhaps for women in midlife is an additional thing to consider. You know, trying to reduce processed foods, trying to reduce salt, trying to reduce sugar. And that's also important because sadly, at this point in our lives, we are more likely to start to get things like heart disease, things like tattoo diabetes
2: and about you know, our weight middles. gain can happen yes, as well. Yes, I was just about to say the middles, <laughs> our muffin top middles. Yeah. That's annoying. But it Dr. is. Dr. And it's about tell me about that
3: <laughs> when
2: it comes to health,
3: you know. If people are carrying additional weight on on their arms and their legs, we call that subcutaneous fat. And as much as people might not like it, it's fine. It's not harmful, but if you're carrying additional fat in and around the organs, so visceral fat, it's it's we call it fat, but it is kind of an organ in its own right because it produces know. lots of chemicals. It produces mm. lots of inflammatory chemicals. So if you're carrying fat, it's not the stuff under the skin that you can pinch around your belly button, on the other side of the muscle. So if you're getting bigger okay. around the mid, middle, that's, that's the fat that is concerning. And actually, you know, that type of fat, you're more likely to accumulate it in midlife it gets more difficult to get rid of after yes. the menopause mm. uh, but it is very sensitive to exercise and particularly muscle strengthening exercise right so the more lean muscle you have in your body the more it helps you burn off the visceral fat but also those harmful inflammatory chemicals that visceral fat creates lean muscle when you activate it create something called myokines and these are anti-inflammatory chemicals so they can kind of dampen down any inflammatory effects so nice. i think for women in midlife you know pounding the payment and running and all of that if you can actually do something that's going to build you a bit of extra lean muscle and it doesn't have to be a lot that can really stand you in good stead from a health perspective yeah. and you can do that with strength training at the same yeah.
1: time isn't it like bone strength and muscle strength so the two together really yeah. important
3: yes if you do exercise that gives you new muscles even if it's not high impact exercise it also
2: helps with bone density as well how do you feel about your body now you've just had a gorgeous little squidgy thing what I mean it does you everyone sits down and reviews how they feel about their body after a baby I and mean, think about it I, don't you
3: I accept how my body is right now I feel like I don't want it to look the way it does right now forever but it does make me wonder you know having a second baby I feel like I can probably get my body back to how I'll be happy with it eventually I'm just giving myself a pass at the moment but then I think if I have a second baby I'm not sure I can because my abdominus rectus muscles at the front of my tummy have split apart quite far I think because I had quite strong muscles to begin with quite thick muscle Mm -hmm. sometimes having well-developed muscle puts you at a higher risk of separation so so they haven't yet come back together which means I do still have a bit of a tummy bulge Mm. which which I don't like but it's it's all about reframing everything isn't Mm. it it is what it is and I can get my body back to how it was before but I think until he's six months old I'm just not thinking about it too much yeah
2: (laughs) And what are your kind of guilty pleasures then? Because whenever I see you, I mean, the, just energy comes out of the TV. <laughs> when I oh, see really? you on oh, this
0: one. You. I think, oh my
2: God, she's so, it's just so, fun. I should do something now. I should just do some exercise now. Quick, quick, quick. <laughs> are you super, super healthy? You know, five pints no. of water every day. What's your kind of guilty pleasure? And um, give us a pass, is what I'm saying to you. Oh my gosh, so many guilty pleasures. Pretty much since the day I got pregnant,
3: I have to have cake every day, every day. <laughs> oh, but that's just that. stopped the last Mentor. two weeks because. The baby's got a cow's milk protein allergy. So um, I'm looking for vegan cakes. Vegan brownies. Mm. I definitely indulge in more alcohol than I probably should. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I think that 14 unit is something that probably throughout my life, I've, I've, yeah, I definitely go outside of that quite frequently. I kind of live by the 80 20 ball, So 80% of the time, I, eat mostly healthily and and I'll be active and you know I try to drink water and so the way I manage that is if I'm at home I try not to have too many unhealthy foods in the house because if they were there I would eat them but if I'm going out for a meal which I do even less often than before I'll have whatever I want so if I want to have a steak and chips with extra chips and a pudding and three glasses of wine because I'm out for a meal I'll have whatever I want but then I try and keep it Healthy when I'm at home. That's mm-hmm. that's the way I manage things. We're both mothers of teenage daughters, and we'll probably have a lot of listeners who have got teenage daughters.
1: And we're very aware that sport is something they shy away from or give up completely once they hit puberty. I mean, I yeah. read one statistic that puts it just 9% of 13 to 15-year-old girls do yeah. sport. I mean, it's shocking, but I know it's true because my daughter stopped. So you started this Fit for Life programme. Tell us briefly about that and and any tips that we can have to talk to our daughters without them storming
3: off to their bedrooms in a huff. Yeah, this all came about I did a show called Gladiators yes and um, yes. I was a gladiator back in 2009 and after that I was asked to go into some schools and and talk to children awards events and that type of thing and and I always spoke to to the girls I would sort of address the girls because I knew that there was this discrepancy in that teenage girls in particular were less active it comes from for me I'm so grateful that I was active and found sport and physical activity because I do believe without it, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. It helped me academically, helped me overcome my shyness. You know, some of the best friends that I have today, my most reliable friends, the girls that I played sport with, made me competitive, made me believe in myself. And without any of those things, I wouldn't have become a doctor. I wouldn't be on TV. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. And when I see that statistic that only 9% of girls aged 13 to 15 are physically active enough for good health so children need to do 60 minutes a day of activity it breaks my heart because I think how many girls are missing out on opportunities because they don't have that as well as it being important for their physical health and mental health especially right now in the tough year that teenagers have just had um, so I started fit for life which we've just become it we've just registered as a charity to try and really inspire and educate and motivate teenage girls to to be active and find ways of being active, but also to give them a voice so that they could speak to their parents or their school, whatever it is they need to be active, they have the voice in order to make that happen. And and what we found when we worked with teenage girls is often they didn't really want to play netball and hockey. And they, they would say, in our gym hall, if you just put up on the big screen, Joe Wicks doing 20 minute workouts, we'll do it. And then it's only 20 minutes, got time to get showered and do our hair and do the things that are important to us. They said, if you, you know, get a DJ in and put some lights on and we can just dance around, like they're saying, if it's actually the exercise that's important, it's not that we don't want to move our bodies, We don't necessarily want to wear these clothes, do this organised sport where actually for the first 20 minutes we just listen to the teacher and then we get three goes and then we expect to get showered. So I think it's about really understanding that physical activity is about not just sport, not even just exercise, but anything that involves moving your body. Mm. And when we open it up like that and start to explore with girls, you know, what would they actually like to do? Because, you know, if a couple of friends come round and they put on some music and they dance in their bedroom for 20 minutes and get a bit of sweat on, that counts.
2: Yeah, it's about trying to really
3: sort of open up those conversations and allow them to do what they actually want to do
2: it's a bit like midlife really isn't it I mean it's kind of the same thing it's hard to get motivated because you just you don't want to go to the gym you just don't want to do particularly if you have put on weight or your body shape's changed and you're a bit depressed I found it's a similar thing with with teenagers their whole bodies change. no one talks to them about sports bras their peer groups are quite judgmental of them as well and they don't want to get undressed and you know, it's a sort of similar thing to it's just self-consciousness isn't it and getting out there there was so a I group think-
3: of girls we were working with at school out like, in in Essex in one of the sort of deprived areas and and this school although it's a really deprived area they had this the school was incredible and they had this amazing gym and and we said to the girls you know what about this gym that like, i would love to use the gym why don't you use it well the boys are in there and they'll look at us what would it take for you to use the gym so well, if after school one day a week it was girls only would use it right mm-hmm. hold that thought in comes a PE teacher Asked the PE teacher, PE teacher said, which day? They're like, Wednesday, done. From now on, Mm. that's it. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. And, you know, it's just it's giving them a bit of a voice I think and and I think sometimes allowing them to think it's their idea as well yeah
1: yeah (laughs) so finally we can't let you go without asking about your time as Amazon the gladiator was it was it the most exciting
3: thing you've ever done probably the most scary thing
1: you've ever done yeah I would
3: say both actually Mm. it was one of those every day I was pinching myself thinking is this actually happening because I loved gladiators in the 90s, was a massive fan of the show and I was a junior doctor at the time when gladiators came back on our screens Mm. and I ended up applying to be a contestant and was asked to be a gladiator so I took a bit of a, a chunk out of medicine, I took a year out of medicine to go and do it. It was definitely the most exciting thing but also the most terrifying thing I've ever done and when you're a gladiator you're not allowed to show that you're scared because uh-huh. you know especially my persona was quite I was quite regal, regal and Amazonian they mm-hmm. said so the first event I ever did that was filmed it was the pyramid and it's one of those events where it's actually swayed in the gladiators favor so you mm-hmm. the expectation is that you'll win the game and I'm quite scared of heights oh. so I'm stood at the top of this thing oh. and the contestants at the bottom and the contestant looked terrified and thought that's all right for you you're allowed to look terrified and they're saying Amazon Pose number two to camera number one, and I'm looking at camera number one, filling oh. my pose, and just thinking, This is the most terrifying thing ever. My legs are shaking, but just what an incredible experience. Oh. And you know, I've still got three of the girls, and one of the guys off gladiators are still my oh. best friends um, oh. today. It was and imagine just, like, how impressed little Lisbon
1: is going, going to be. Mom <laughs> up and sees that. i would probably so, embarrassed. Like. so cool. Well, listen. That is so brilliant of you to give us your time, and it is probably time now for you to get back to Little Lisbon. But thank you so much for joining thank us you. and giving all your incredible advice and expertise. It's been so lovely talking to you. Yeah, oh, lovely. Thank to meet you, you so much for
3: having me. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Brilliant.
1: Well, there was so much fantastic information from Dr. Zoe Williams. I think we should just reflect on what are you taking away from that, Lorraine.
2: Well, I think the really interesting thing, and it's an, she answered a question we get asked a lot that we've tried to answer a lot about how to talk to your GPs when your GP really isn't mm. getting it, really doesn't understand the many, many symptoms of perimenopause. The way of her explaining it is you're the expert and the GP is an expert mm. and the two of you are going to solve it and mm-hmm. be curious about it. I think that's really brilliant and being brave enough to take that nice nhs sheet in and say you know i don't need antidepressants what i need is you to help me with my hormones i think mm-hmm. that was really useful and the words she used were, were really great so i'd really advise women to listen to that before they go to the doctor again. yes yeah exactly it's really good advice
1: things i didn't know that dr zoe told us you know that regular group exercise has proved to be as effective mm. as antidepressants i mean how amazing is that this whole idea of social prescribing i was really that kind of felt really positive and useful um for me and the sort of the, the, the little incremental benefits yes. um three hours standing at your desk is equivalent oh. to ten marathons in a year i mean my goodness and then I we want could a badge for that you want a badge a and year, imagine like if you did it on one badge a trophy everything imagine if you did it on one foot yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're here nostalgia noodle take me back where have you been trish I've been back to
1: the world of the brownies, not chocolate cake. I came across a very sweet little photo of me and my big sister, and she's wearing her brownie uniform, and she looks so cute in it. Um, And back in those days, I don't really remember, it was a kind of very smart little dress with a leather belt, a yellow little tie with a brownie pin on it, and a bobble hat. And I just what I remember about that is she was so upset because it had just changed from when... Brownies wore berets to bobble hats. I mean, who'd rather wear a bobble hat than a beret? Better. (laughs) Oh, but I was obviously desperate to get into this brownie uniform. And when it when the time came. Obviously, she got the new uniform because she'd grown out of hers, and I got hand-me-downs. Always oh, the way, oh, Trish. <laughs> being the little sister. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't matter because I loved the
2: brownies. I really loved the brownies. Mm. Did you like brownies? No, I had a disagreement with the brownies. You and, were naughty, were My you? mum decided it was probably would escalate, so it was best if I didn't <laughs> go back. Were we, we allowed to know what it we was? We went. Uh, they sent us flower picking near the church hall. We went into a garden pick some mm-hmm. flowers in someone's garden um the lady waved out the window so I mean there was no issue but I think there'd been <laughs> other leading up to this incident. Oh, and the brownie was, lady what's her name brown, brown owl, owl maybe tawny owl, she said owl. I had to apologize and I said I didn't think I'd done anything wrong because the lady waved and I didn't want to apologize and I it, well, it was not of an opinion I did have to apologize and <laughs> I didn't apologize and my mum said it's probably best not to it's best that. not to go back because it would escalate further. And oh dear! Very wise so, of my mum, I think. So feel. you never became a sixer. I'm. I'm. Imagining. No, because I only went a few times, so oh,
1: I didn't do. Do you any remember badges. the the brownie guide? thing that you had to recite no, i wouldn't have liked doing that either you, you wouldn't see, have done didn't really you, like like you have like to put your fingers up like your two fingers up like this yeah that well three fingers our producer me. is prompting us with three fingers and okay. you had to say i promise i will do my best to do my duty to god to serve the queen and help other people and to keep the brownie guide law
2: i don't like <laughs> any institutional <laughs> behavior
1: <laughs> anyway enough of that brownies oh, okay. have you got something yeah.
2: Well Oh, no, you've got biscuit related, not I've got related. A, biscuit a biscuit related noodle. Because this week we found out Mabel, who is 10, can't take sugar or nuts or anything like that to school. So she can't have anything with chocolate on in her mm. lunch, which leads us, because we are such a biscuit family, oh. it really narrows your biscuits down. I mean, there's barely mm. any of them. So, what I was looking for biscuits that she could take that might taste nice. And I found the malted milk ones. Oh, yes. Which, take me all the way back to coming home from school Mm -hmm. and my mum giving me a piece of malt loaf
0: Yes, they made that oh, on
2: Bake Off days. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a malted milk biscuit oh. because they they were kind of a good healthy after school snack. But <laughs> does I Mabel just... like it? Does she like the malted no, milk? No, she thinks it's a really boring biscuit. Oh. And <laughs> um, when we looked at um, all the other biscuits that we could take from the 1980s, if mm. we were going to take a retro biscuit, there was Breakaway. Do you remember? Oh that? Yes. Don't take Takeaway, My Breakaway, mm-hmm. the Club, the Union. Oh, the Un- the Un- oh no united's yeah. they were called united's yeah choppy ones um and you could get a big box called a family circle yeah full of biscuits I think still got that. made yes. me remember my gran who came over once my grandma um with like the biggest bag bin bag of biscuit bits because Perfect a friend biscuits. of hers was working at a biscuit factory yes. and she couldn't get through all her broken biscuits and did we want them Oh, I mean, and yes, you yes, you did. Well, you sort of do, but they all taste of each other. Oh, so, a bit crummy um, as well. <laughs> yeah, a bit sort of cupboardy. So a bit I think when I write my book about me.
0: Yes, Which I know you're all looking yes, forward we all want to, to read,
2: hear more about you, Lorraine, because we haven't is, heard enough. It's massive on the book about me. It will actually be my life in biscuits.
1: Your life in biscuits, like that. Yeah. Starting with a party ring or a custard cream.
2: Party rings we used to use for the kids' homework
1: as rewards. Oh, great! For them to sit down and do very room. good. Yeah, very that's good. a retro biscuit too. Mm. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Postcast from Midlife. New episodes are available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider. And we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download your episode so they count on our listener
2: numbers. And if you could rate and review us too, that would be very marvellous indeed. And please tell your midlife friends about us, well, all your friends about us, because we want as many women as possible to join in the midlife conversation, which is what our private Facebook group is all about. Postcards from Midlife is the Facebook group. So if you're not a member, come over and join us. And you can also email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. And you can use it to
1: post any feedback on the topics we discuss, as well as suggestions for other things you'd like to hear talked about, or the celebrities and experts you'd love to hear us interview. So email us at hello at postcards from midlife.com or pop a little message on the Instagram. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Planning for your next
2: trip?